Amen. As you know, we've been looking at the life of David uh, for the past few weeks or so, and we're going to continue that today as well. And we're looking at the title of this series is called Boldly Forward for His Glory. This whole year is for His Glory. That's the theme of the whole year. As we look at this particular series, it's boldly forward, moving forward in our faith, moving forward in our walk, moving forward as a church for the glory of God. It always should be about Him and His glory. Amen? And so it's always for His glory. And today we're looking at specifically forward behavior. Forward behavior. I'm sure you may have heard it said before, your actions speak louder than your words. Amen? Y'all heard that before? The only one who's heard that. Your actions speak louder than your words. And so we think about our our actions, our behavior. It speaks volumes to the people around us. But you know, as we think about that, as we think about behavior, there are certain expectations in our lives in different places and different ways. And we're expected to act certain ways in just about every aspect of our life. For as a matter of fact, I suspect that at some point in your life, uh, if you've been coming to church, uh, maybe as a young person coming up through, that your parents at some point told you how you were supposed to act in church, right? You know, your mama probably told you, now look, we're going to go to church today, and I'm telling you, you better be quiet or else. Now, I can say that because I have been an ex- one who experienced that conversation with my mama many years ago, so I suspect you probably know what I'm talking about. There's also an expectation in all, all parts of our lives, not only just in, in church, but in every aspect of life, even in the grocery aisle. You know, when you have children in a grocery aisle, uh, uh, even at the checkout counter, the, this conversation would be something like this. Now, you need to be good when we get to the checkout counter. When we get there, don't you, get, don't you cry because you don't get what you want. So Angie tells me that every time we go to the store. <laughs> There's, certain, there's just certain expectations of behavior, right? In the workplace, they would act professional, be professional, dress the part, act the part. When we're in our home and we have guests that arrive, there's a certain expectation to be on our best behavior. But don't you show off now. And whatever you do, don't open the closets of everything that's going to fall out that we put in there, expecting these people to come by. There's always some kind of expectation of behavior. But here's the question we're going to look at today is how are we supposed to act as believers? How are we supposed to behave as believers? Well, beloved, we're supposed to have behavior that is not an act. Amen. We're supposed to have a behavior that brings glory to the Lord in everything that we say and everything that we do. We're to have behavior that moves us forward in our walk with the Lord. That behavior that moves us forward and also uh, the, the people that we come in contact with. We can point them uh, to the Lord Jesus through the, our actions and the things that we are, we're, how we're living our lives. Because our actions speak louder than our words, and we want our, our actions to point people to Jesus. Amen? That's what we want. And so we're going to look at this passage of Scripture today in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 16. And as we look here, we're going to see two different behaviors that are found in today's Scripture. Uh, asking ourselves, which, which one are we most like? But then as we examine to figure out which one we're most like and looking at these two behaviors, we need to ask ourselves which one we're most like, but then de- determine to behave and act in ways where God can use us as his people. 
So in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read for us 1 Samuel 18, again, verses 1 through 16 this morning. The Bible says this, Now when he, that's David, had finished speaking to Saul, this is right after he has killed Goliath, and now he's in the presence of the king, King Saul. After he finished speaking to Saul, the soul, of, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh Uh-oh. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. And so David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, that he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And every word is there for a purpose and a plan. And Lord, you know what we don't many times as we read the word. Um, Lord, how you can use it to speak to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that this morning as we have gathered here, Lord, you know what needs to be spoken into our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we would be open and receptive to what that is. I pray for the movement of the Spirit of God in every heart and every life. Lord, we would be receptive to what we need to understand, what we need to hear. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me simply as your instrument, for this is your message. And I pray, Father, that you would guide and direct all that's said and done. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see the outline now in your bulletin. We're going to look at this, look at this uh, as we move along here. As I said, there's two different behaviors. And the first behavior we're going to look at is a behavior called fleshly behavior. A fleshly behavior. Now, a fleshly behavior, and when we, when we say those words, now some of you may know what I'm talking about when you talk about fleshly behavior, but fleshly behavior is the behavior that we have naturally that comes upon us even at our birth. It is our sinful nature. We are born with this kind of behavior. It is the human flesh, the natural flesh. It is a fleshly behavior. Now, we're going to look at two different kinds. We're going to start here with this one today. 
But uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we find in here, in this passage, that three times it tells us in the New King James Version that David behaved wisely. Now, what that means is that he behaved in such a way that he had success. That's what that means. He, had, he behaved in such a way that he had success. Matter of fact, that's what the, uh, the ESV version has. But David's success was found in his faith. But he acted in ways because of his faith that God could use him. But we're not going to talk about David first. We're going to instead talk about Saul. And Saul's behavior was a fleshly behavior. Now, understand as we think about this fleshly behavior, it's not a forward behavior, but rather it's a backward behavior. It's a fleshly behavior. And, and prior to this point, as we come to this chapter, prior to this point, Saul had disobeyed God and his word on two distinct occasions. And because he had disobeyed God on those occasions, uh, he was rejected by God as the king. As a matter of fact, you remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, and that Samuel was with him when he says to him that the kingdom has been torn from him and been reject- he's been rejected uh, as the king, but rather the kingdom was given to a neighbor who was better than him. He didn't know who that was, but Samuel told him this was coming. He didn't know what time and what point, but that it was coming. And so Saul's disobedience was a fleshly behavior. And by the way, in case you're wondering, all disobedience to God, beloved, is a fleshly behavior. Sinful is the natural self. See, this behavior, this disobedience is usually all about me. It's all about us. It's all about the self. And Saul had this behavior. But here's the thing, that if Saul had repented... God would still have been able to use him. But as we see Saul's life, there was never a change of heart. So his fleshly behavior then moved him not forward, but backward. And we find here a couple of things that describe this fleshly behavior. And the first thing that we see here is that it is anxious. There's an anxiousness about Saul. You see, as we said, actions speak louder than words. And here's what we see in Saul. We see somebody who is anxious. We see him, a man who is anxious. Now, a couple chapters back in chapter 16, and we're not going to go there. I'll let you do that on your own time. But in chapter 16, Saul did not know David at that point, nor that he had been the one who'd been selected by the Lord and anointed as, by Samuel as the next king. And in that chapter, what we find later on in that chapter is that when Saul has, had, had this distressing spirit come upon him, that, they, that he'd asked for or needed someone to come and to play music to soothe his soul. And David was brought uh, and played the harp for him to soothe Saul. And then in verse 21 of chapter 16, it tells us that Saul loved David greatly and he became his armor bearer. And so things were great. As far as David and Saul were concerned. But then David does something here as we saw last week where he slays the giant Goliath. And indeed that was a good thing as he stood up for the Lord. He had a cause uh, to to stand up for uh, God's people and for the cause of God. But what we find here is that people are starting to recognize David's accomplishment. And now what we find here in verses 6 and 6 through 8 are these words. Look again in the passage of scripture with me. When it happened as they were coming home from this great thing that had taken place where David had killed Goliath, 
When David was turning, returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul is angry and displeased that the Bible says here. We get this sense in his anger and his displeasure that there is an anxiety, there is an anxiousness about Saul. I hope you all see that here, especially as we come to the end of verse 8 where he says, Now what more could he have but the kingdom? When I look around and I see all this, what more can he have but the kingdom? So what we find in Saul, what we see in Saul, what we sense in Saul here is that there is a real sense of insecureness. He's insecure about the kingdom. He's apprehensive here about David and the kingdom. He's uneasy here about David and the kingdom. Well, he is so anxious. He is anxious about his kingdom. Why is he so anxious about his kingdom? I'll tell you why. It's because he's afraid of losing control. He remembers what Saul told him. You know he hasn't forgotten that. He remembers what Samuel told him when he said that the kingdom would be torn from him and given to someone better than you. And here, here's David who's been ascribed to him, uh, being ascribed as given, Saul slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. He's uneasy. He's anxious about David. He's uneasy. He's anxious about his future. Man, where... Where does that anxiousness come from? Well, I'll tell you. Being anxious comes from a lack of faith in the Lord. Being anxious is a very fleshly behavior. It's relying on the self. It's a fear. It's a thing that's taking place, and it's where we're not having control, and we're anxious. So there is not a submission to the Lord's will because we're more concerned about our will. And so Saul has this fleshly behavior of being anxious because his life, now listen, his life is not being shaped by the Lord. His life, he, in, he, in his life, he, he, is not, he doesn't have a fear of the Lord. He doesn't have a concern for the Lord, but rather he is trusting and he is believing and he is being concerned for only himself and his kingdom. His concern was about his own well-being, his kingdom, his desires, his wants, his life, his control, his future. That's what he was concerned about. And that's what was bringing about this anxiousness because he knew that things were not going like he thought they should. Even though David has just killed Goliath. But he hears some things and he knows some things and he is anxious about what's taking place. Because he, he feels like he doesn't have control or he's losing control. Boy, it's easy for us to talk about Saul when in reality, oftentimes we are exactly like this. We get just like this. We get anxious when we don't feel like we have control. We become anxious because it's always when it's about us. But beloved, as we've said many times, it's never about us. We're not here for our glory. We're here for his glory. Amen. It's always and it, will, it has always been, it is always now, and it will always be for the glory of God. It's not about our kingdom, it's about the true king and his kingdom. And this anxiousness is fleshly behavior. 
It's a backward behavior. It shows a lack of faith and a trusting in him. And as we, and as we see here with Saul, it can, it's concerned with my kingdom, my comfort, my control, my, what I deserve, what I want, what belongs to me. I'm sure none of you here are ever anxious about anything, right? I suspect that uh, this hits all of us, amen? But this anxiousness is, when we get anxious, it's because we're not trusting the Lord. I mean, that's just the simple fact of it. Being anxious is this fleshly behavior. It causes, not only it causes anxiety in us, anxiousness, but it causes a fear. And we see that here even in Saul. In verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. In verse 15, it tells us, when Saul saw that David behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. There's this fear here. He's, he, has fear, he has fear because David was being successful. He has fear. He's anxious and is causing fear because it was apparent that the Lord was with David. It's apparent to, to Saul here in those passages of Scripture because of what, how he was able to go against the giant Goliath. It's apparent that God's with him, the Lord's with him, because people are loving him. And then we see, we'll see in a minute something else that he does. And when he throws the spear, he finds that the spear missed David. The Lord must be with him. And when he recognizes that the Lord is with him and he's not with himself, when Saul, then there's this fear that overtakes him because his kingdom may be at stake. And he is more concerned about his kingdom than he is God's kingdom. And it's causing this anxiousness and this fear because he may lose control. Beloved, we're often very concerned about our kingdom. Now, we don't pull into our house, into our parking lots and say, Ah, my kingdom. We don't do that, do we? Well, maybe some of you do. (laughs) But our comfort and our desire and what we want is our kingdom. When it's about us, it's our kingdom. We want to be on the throne. We want to have control. But the Bible tells us something. Jesus says something in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34, especially as it comes to thinking about having an anxious heart where we're more concerned about us and how this is going to help us or hurt us or our comfort or or our desires. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all things. But watch this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things should be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Instead of being concerned about my kingdom and how this is going to affect me and how I'm going to be able to afford this or how I'm going to be able to do that, beloved, let's wonder and ask and be concerned about, is it God's kingdom that I'm concerned about? And am I yielding my life to his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness? See, being anxious is fleshly behavior. It's not how believers ought to act. Rather, we're to trust our heavenly Father for all that's best and all the things are to be for his glory. The Bible also tells us in Philippians 4, 6, this says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. 
Let not that fleshly behavior be a part of who we are as we fret and we worry and we wring our hands and we are anxious about things, but rather let us go to the Lord in prayer and be thankful because He is the King and He has all things under control and it's always going to be about Him and not about us. So Lord, I yield it to You, whatever this looks like. Be anxious for nothing. Anxious is fleshly behavior. Typically, however, it doesn't stop there. When we're concerned for our kingdom and what we think belongs to us and, and what we deserve and what is mine and looks like somebody else might be getting it instead of me, then that often leads to another behavior that's fleshly, and that's being jealous. That's the second little line under there, being jealous. Now, understand that being jealous could be good or it could be bad. We find that our God is a jealous God. He is jealous for His people, desiring His people to be faithful and to not go after other gods. That is a good jealous, a good jealousy. But we find here in this passage about Saul is a fleshly, it's a bad jealousy. It's a jealous emotion that is bad. And look at verse 8 again and verse 9, the latter part where he says, uh, uh, Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul eyed David. That's the New King James Version. What that means is that he kept a jealous eye on David. He kept a jealous eye on David. And the word, word structure there even leads us to believe that it was, means that he kept a jealous eye with a desire to do him harm. That's what that means. This type of emotion, when it's bad, it's fleshly behavior, when it's rooted in what I want and what I think that I deserve. Jealousy. As one commentator writes, jealousy denotes a feeling of resentment that another has gained something that you feel that you rightly deserve more. In other words, we think we deserve what they have. We think we should have gotten that. Wait a minute, wait a minute now. I deserve that promotion. Wait a minute. I, I needed that vacation. Wait a minute. I should have been the one who was called upon. I should have been the one who was asked to do this project. I was the one who should have been asked to do this. Or maybe it's more personal. Why, why do they get to go? Why are they married and I'm not? Why are they so happy? Why can't I have that kind of a car? Why do they get to enjoy that dream home? Why do they get the room with the view? Mm. You see, sometimes it's, it sneaks in there sort of at the back door. And before we know it, we have this jealous emotion that crops up and it's fleshly. One of my commentators wrote this week as I was reading, he said, Jealousy is a terrible emotion. Jealousy is the scab that you keep picking and it only gets worse. It's a pain that will not abate it persists and it pounds us until we're pushed to the point of no return. It is a terrible and a harsh master. And that is exactly where Saul is here, isn't it? When you read what's taking place in this story. It's a harsh master and this jealous, anxious, fearful, selfish heart is controlling him. And it's fueling him, and it's burning, and it's churning, and it's pounding, and it's persisting, and it pushes him to a point of no return. And so being jealous of others really is a fleshly behavior because it is all me-centered. And it never considers the sovereignty of God. And so this jealousy, and, and, and what we know is that jealousy and envy are two different things, but they're very close cousins. They're very closely related. 
And Warren Wiersbe says this about envy. He says, envy leads to anger. And anger is often the first step toward murder. And that's what we find Saul doing next. You know, when we live and we act according to our fleshly desires. When we live and act according to our fleshly ways. And when we do not allow the Lord to take control of our lives. And when we're not totally surrendered to him. We soon find ourselves in a downward spiral. And we have behavior that is anxious and is jealous. But then also there's a third thing here we see in his behavior. And that is that it is dangerous. Because of Saul's anxious and jealous and fleshly heart. He plots to do evil to David. You know, isn't it interesting how quickly our hearts can change? Y'all with me this morning? Isn't it, qui- isn't it interesting how quickly our hearts can change? Just a few chapters before that we find in chapter 16, verse 21, how Saul loved David and now how he despises him with this jealous rage and he schemes now to do him harm. And so what we see here in Saul is that he has this anxiousness, this fear, and this jealous emotion, and it leads to this dangerous aspect of his temper. We see this fleshly behavior of his temper. Look at verse 10 and 11. It happened on the next day when this distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. In verse 10, it talks about this distressing spirit from the Lord. Now, this could have been, as we wonder, what in the world could that could be? We could, uh, some believe that it was, could have been a spirit that was from the Lord that was sent to stir him to be repentant. A spirit of calling him to repentance. And that was distressing to him. Or it was a sense of God's judgment that was on him. And this distressing spirit of God. But instead of yielding, To the fear of the Lord, what Saul does here is it says he prophesied inside the house. And that could be a false prophecy. More than likely that's what it is. But it also literally means in a frenzy. He's in a frenzy, which then leads to this outburst of temper. So what do you see that he's got a temper? He says, well, he picks up the spear and he throws it at David. Amen. That's a temper. It's an outburst of a temper of what's going on in his heart and what's going on in his life. Beloved, listen. Outbursts of wrath is what that is. Tempers are fleshly behaviors. They do not move us forward in our walk with the Lord when we exhibit a temper. Nor should a temper ever be seen in those who love Jesus. Ever. It is right to be angry at sin. But it is not right to have an outburst of wrath that is a temper, me-centered temper. Bible tells us in James chapter 1 verse 20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our tempers will not cause anything good for the Lord. So these actions of Saul are definitely fleshly behavior, concerned only with his own kingdom, his own self, not yielding to the Lord's will or the Lord's way. And what we see here in Saul is that his actions speak louder than his words. With this anxiousness, with this fear that leads to jealousy, that leads to his temper, these outbursts of wrath, their fleshly behavior. That's Saul's behavior. How about ours? How's our behavior? 
In Galatians 5, 19 and, 20 through, and 21, we see that there's some, some words that come from the Lord for us. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit as Paul writes to the church at Galatia. And he talks about this fleshly behavior. And he calls it something as the works of the flesh. Notice what the works of the flesh are. See if it sounds anything like what Saul had to deal with here, what Saul was doing. Now the works of the flesh were, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Verse 20, idolatry and sorcery. Watch this now. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envy. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fleshly desires, our fleshly behavior. Is our, and so the question is, is our behavior fleshly as we live our daily lives? Is there anxiousness? Is there jealousy? Is there, is it, it is dangerous because of where it can lead. See, fleshly behavior is dangerous because it can do you harm. And it can do your testimony harm. And it can do the body of Christ harm. So the question is, are you concerned about your kingdom? You say, well, I, you know, there's some times I have some anxiety. Maybe I'm a little jealous here now, but I would never throw a spear at somebody. Well, maybe you wouldn't throw a spear, but do you throw words around recklessly? You see, our actions reveal what's in our hearts. Do you speak evil of others? Do you slander their reputation in order to build your own up? Do you cause discord because you aren't getting your way or your agenda fulfilled? Well, if so, then you're not being far from like being just like Saul and his fleshly behavior. Secondly, the other kind of behavior we see here is a fruitful behavior. A fruitful behavior. So we contrast Saul's fleshly behavior with two other people in the story because their actions, just like Saul's, speak louder than words here. Their behavior was not fleshly, but it was fruitful because they were yielded to the king, not King Saul, but they were yielded to the king of all kings. Instead of thinking of their own kingdom, they were thinking about the king, God Almighty, and his kingdom. And the first person we find here is Jonathan, and we see here that he is gracious. We see that this is a part of this fruitful behavior is that he is gracious. And we look at in, con- in contrast to Saul being selfish, we find that Jonathan is selfless. Jonathan is Saul's son. And we'll talk more about him next week. But, but we're going to look at these first four verses here in chapter 18 and see something about him and that he is gracious. Look at these verses here. Now, when he had finished, as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan, watch this now, took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now what is happening here is something that is really amazing. Is that Jonathan is realizing something about David. He has a faith in the true God, Jonathan does. And so he is realizing that David probably will be the next king. But you need to understand that Jonathan is the heir to the throne of Saul's kingdom. And so what Jonathan is doing is he is passing that off 
realizing that David, his soul is knit to David, and he is realizing, he is sacrificially acknowledging that David would be king, and he is selflessly giving of himself and understanding and trusting that the Lord's plan is better than his own plan, and he's trusting the Lord's plan over his own self. He's trusting in the Lord's kingdom instead of him having the kingdom after Saul. He's yielding to what God wants. It's a gracious, gracious behavior. It's a fruitful behavior, and that's expected of all believers. This graciousness. It's a selfless behavior. It's a loving behavior. It's honoring other people above yourself behavior. Amen? You see that? It's honoring somebody else. Even though he had the right to the throne, the heir to the throne, he yields to the Lord and he loves his brother. He loves David and he honors him above himself. Beloved, that is a fruitful behavior for us as believers. The Bible tells us what that looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. That love suffers long and is kind and it does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. In Romans 12, we find it tells us this in verse 10, that we're to be kindly affectionate to one another with a brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. The fleshly behavior is to be being concerned about me, myself, and I. But the fruitful behavior is to say, no, that's not the way I'm supposed to be as a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm to have a preference of other people above myself. I think of them before I think of myself. I want his kingdom, not my kingdom. I want to be yielded to what he wants, not what I want. And that is fruitful behavior that moves us forward as believers to have a gracious and behavior and a love for other people. Anger and hatred and bitterness and envy do not move us forward in our walk, but being gracious and loving does move us forward in our walk because it's fruitful. It reveals the fruit that we are the followers of Jesus Christ. So we see here that there's this gracious behavior of Jonathan, but also we see this righteous behavior of David revealed in his faith. It revealed his faith. It says, again, that David behaved wisely. We see that in verse 5, verse 14, verse 15. Or he behaved in such a way that it brought about success. It was a fruitful behavior. So what does that look like? We see, first off, that it was humble. In verse 10, again, it happened the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. And so David played music with his hand as at other times. Now you just got to see this picture, okay? Remember David. He's under the age of 20. He has just killed Goliath. He has just gone against the Philistine, the great giant. And yet we find here that here he is. Saul is having a temper tantrum, and David is there playing the harp, realizing, knowing that one day he will be the king. He's been anointed as the king. What we see in David is a humble spirit, amen? What a humble man he is. The king is irrational, the king is temperamental, but David is there playing the music to calm him. Boy, we see that humility there in David, and we will see humility throughout the entirety of David's life. And beloved people should see humility throughout our lives as well. Amen? They should see people who are humble. That's fruitful behavior that moves us forward, to be people who are humble. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, we see the example that Jesus had for us, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
It's fruitful behavior that reveals his faith that he's humble, but also that he's faithful. In verse 11, we find that he's faithful. It says that Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. So how do you see somebody being faithful? Well, he stayed with the king. You see, the depth of David's loyalty to the king, his commitment to help Saul overcome his torments, he's dependable. We see he's faithful because David escaped his presence as Saul cast a spear not once but twice. David could have said, I'm out of here, bud. I'm out. But he didn't. He stayed faithful to what the Lord had called him to do there as the one who was playing the harp to try to soothe the soul of King Saul. He was faithful. But also he restrained himself from evil. He could have picked up that javelin and he could have thrown it back. He could have thought to himself, ah, this is how I'm going to become the next king. I'll pick it up and I'll throw it back at him and I'll pin him to the wall. But that's not what he does. He does not retaliate upon the one who has wronged him. And we'll see that again as well. So what we find in David is he has self-control. Unlike Saul, who couldn't control his rage, his insecurity, his jealousy, or his temper. But we see in David who has this fruitful behavior and he does not retaliate when someone has done him wrong. Oh, but how we really want to get even, don't we, sometimes. Somebody does something to hurt us. Somebody does something against us. We want to think about what's the ways that we can make this person suffer. It may not be a physical thing. Maybe it's a mental thing or emotional thing. We hold something back from them so that they will suffer. We retaliate. But that is fleshly behavior, not fruitful behavior. As believers, we want to bear fruit to point people to Jesus. The Bible tells us, 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I cannot help but to think about our Savior who showed us what that looks like. In 1 Peter 2.23 it says, When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. So we see in David and Jonathan the fruitful behavior of being gracious and loving and righteous, being humble and faithful, restraining from evil, but being also yielded to the Lord's will, the will of the true king. He didn't try to take matters into his own hands, David didn't. He, he waited for God's timing for his coronation. Now, that's not always easy, but it comes because trusting, he's trusting in the, it comes easy when we are trusting in the Lord and not in ourselves. It comes easy when we're secure in his word and his promises and we're not being insecure. It comes when we're satisfied in him and not seeking the satisfaction of the world. This fruitful behavior is being gracious, being righteous, and it is then thirdly advantageous. In verse 5, again, we see that David went wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. Saul set him over men of war. He was accepted in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. We see in verse 14 and 15, David behaved wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. So David behaved wisely, and he had great successes. His actions revealed that he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man of faith. He was concerned more about God's kingdom and not his own. And he lived in such a way that was fruitful behavior, behaving wisely, actions that were humble and faithful to the task, being self-disciplined, keeping restrained from evil, and yielded to the Lord. And God was able to use him, and he did. 
So the question is, how are we acting? Our actions speak loudly as to who we are. Listen, our behaviors reveal who we are, what's in our heart, and who we belong to. If you don't take anything else away from today, this is what we need to understand. Our actions, our behaviors speak loudly to the world, to our family, to the people who are watching and people are watching. It speaks loudly as to who we are, what's in our hearts, and who we belong to. Galatians 5.22 and following, Paul, as he wrote to the church of Galatia, he told them about the works of the flesh. Those things of the fleshly behavior, but then he follows up with the fruit of the Spirit. The behavior that comes from bearing the fruit, of having the fruit of the Spirit within us. So this is the fruit that we bear. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, now listen, those who are Christ, who belong to Jesus, well, we have crucified the flesh. That fleshly behavior has been crucified on the cross with Jesus, with all of its passions and all of its desires. For if we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or envying one another. There's a completely different life that we live as believers. Amen? People who follow the Lord, it's not about my kingdom, it's about His kingdom. I'm not the king, He's the king of my life. And so I don't want to have a fleshly behavior, I want to have a fruitful behavior that continues to move me forward, be used of God, and that points people to Jesus and all that I say and do. But listen, we live in a day today where the world will tell you that you have to break the rules to climb the ladder. The world will tell you that you must step on people and over people to get what it is that you want. The world tells you, you know what, just live any way that you want to because you deserve it. Just think only about yourself because nobody else is. But I'm here to tell you, friends, that that kind of thinking, while it might get you a promotion at your job, it is fleshly behavior, not fruitful. And only fruitful behavior that, that is concerned more about God's kingdom and only about his kingdom, not our kingdom. Well, that's what moves us forward in our faith. Beloved, be the man or woman that is after God's own heart. That loves him with all your heart. And loves others as you love yourself. Being gracious and humble and faithful to what you have been called to, and overcoming evil, and yielding to the Lord's will. And then through your life, you will show people by your actions what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the living Lord. Now understand that David would not be perfect. We ought to know some of the stories, amen? We know he's not perfect. We know he's not going to be perfect as we read through his life. But here's what we do know, that when he sinned, we will see that he was broken over his sin. And Saul, however, would not be that way. He continued to be selfish, thinking only of his own self and his own kingdom, and his heart was hardened. So how about us? What about you? Are you broken over your sin, or is your heart hardened to your sin? Is your behavior, as you think about your life, and you're really the only one who knows this besides maybe your spouse and your kids or grandchildren, is your behavior about you? Or is it about for the the glory of God? Beloved, let us examine our hearts. Because our hearts dictate our behavior. 
As we look at our passage today, our hearts really need to be, be more like David's. But even more so like the greater David, Jesus. Our hearts are like Jesus as he dwells there. We are to receive him as Lord and Savior. You do that by accepting Christ as Savior of your life. Knowing that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Turning from our sin, embracing and believing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross, rose bodily from the grave, professing him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. If you've never taken that step of faith, you can overcome the fleshly behavior. You can overcome a fleshly life by having a fruitful life in Jesus as you trust him by faith. Three things to do, real quick. Number one, arrest all jealousy. Cause it to stop. Arrest all jealousy, and and really that's all fleshly behavior, all hatred, all anger, all bitterness, all temper. Arrest all of that in your life. If you have any fleshly behavior in your life, then arrest it. Stop it. Now, you need to understand that that's not something that you yourself can do. To arrest all fleshly behavior comes only through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only through what Jesus can do in and through your life and will do as he rescues you, as he ransoms you, as he redeems you by the blood of the Savior. That's what happens when we come to know Christ as Savior is that he changes us from the inside out. We're made new in Christ. And so you're able to arrest all of that fleshly behavior as you turn your heart and your life over to Jesus. Arrest it. And then as you arrest that in your life, then secondly, behave like Jesus. As you live your life at your workplace, as you, in your home, as you go to the market, as you're driving down the road, wherever it is that you are, as you're out in your yard, beloved, you are never, never off the hook. We must always behave like Jesus. Amen? And we're able to do that because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Behave like Jesus as the Spirit is within us, yielded to Him, being filled with the Spirit of God, spending time with the Lord. And the more we spend time with Him and more we fall in love with Him, the easier it is for us to to behave like Jesus because we're going to be more like Him. And then thirdly, commit to Jesus wholeheartedly. Yielded to Him and His kingdom, saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Yesterday, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. There's a whole lot of stuff about St. Patrick, and I've got a lot here on my iPad that I'd love to tell you, but I'm not. I'm going to save it because we're out of time. But I want to tell you this one quick thing. He's attributed to to creating a prayer that they put on a lot of the, the soldiers, the knights' armor. And this is what I'm trying to get at today. This is who we should be as believers. By the way, Patrick was a child of God who loved Jesus, planted churches. And so here's what we need to, may this be our prayer. Christ with me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right and Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down and Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise and Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me and Christ in every ear that hears me. That's who we're to be. When people see us, 
and the way we behave, let them see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, have your way in our hearts and lives today, that in all things we will give you praise, honor, and glory. Lord, may our hearts be softened and tender to receive what you need for us to hear through that message. We'd be the people of God you've called us to be, to behave like Christians who love Jesus with all of our heart and love others as we love ourselves. Lord, I pray that our behavior is not fleshly, but always fruitful. And where we need to have that change in our hearts and lives, Lord, may you take care of that in our lives. May we yield completely to you and commit ourselves to you today. This is how we want to live for others to see Jesus in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.